Our scripture reading comes to us from the gospel account of St. John, the first chapter, beginning in verse 29 and reading through verse 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. The next day he, John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the chosen one. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the past few weeks, we have had a lot of celebrations. We have celebrated the seasons of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, where we celebrated the coming of the Christ first as the child of Bethlehem, look for a second coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. On Christmas, we celebrated specifically the birth of the Christ among us and celebrated the fact that we have Emmanuel, God with us, that God has shown up. Last Sunday, we celebrated baptism of the Lord, where we remember Jesus' baptism and asked why was Jesus baptized, and then why are we baptized, and what does that mean for us, and the vows and the promises that we have made, and reaffirmed those vows. And all of that is wonderful and important and good. But the question becomes, what does it mean that the Lamb of God has come into the world? What does it mean for us to be disciples, followers of Christ. You see, I don't know about you, but for me, I love checklists. I mean, I am one of those, I actually purchase a special journal uh, and pay way too much for it. But it's a journal that not only gives me the dates and the days, but it breaks it out by the hours and I have goals that I can write in and the tasks that I need to get done. I know y'all are looking at me funny, but it does my little, my little heart good when I have a task written on there and I can check it off and say I did that, you know. And again, a part of it is, is because I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but y'all are a little larger than my previous congregations. And so trying to keep track of all of you and all of the stuff that's going on and making sure that there's no one waiting on me to have something that they need is really important to me that I'm providing everything that you need to do what you need to do and as you're called. And so this little book that I have that I carry with me to most meetings is all of that. And I get to check everything off. But I'm afraid as followers of Jesus Christ, 
if we can reduce our faith to being little more than a holy checklist. And in doing so, we embrace everything that Jesus Christ came to set us free from. Because there's been holy checklists all through the Old Testament. You know, that's one of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, that's what they held to. Here is the religious checklist. Do this, don't do this. And if you do this and you don't do this, then maybe you're good before God. And to be sure, there are definitely some do's and do nots that we, that we have. We have the vows that we profess. If you missed last Sunday, you want to go back and look. I will not be offended. Take your hymnal. Take it to page 50. You'll see the vows there. We have the top 10 list established in the book of Exodus, right? The 10 commandments, do's and do nots. But the problem is, is that when we live our lives as being little more than I've done this and I haven't done this, then we've missed the point. We've missed the fact that Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that Christ came to restore a relationship to the Father. That Christ came to be with us. He didn't just come and issue a divine mandate, but rather an invitation in grace, secured through the cross, redeemed by the resurrection, and a promise of new life. We see this in what's happening in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. After John has proclaimed to us that the Word has made, been made flesh and has come to dwell among us and that we have seen the glory, the glory of a Father's only Son full of grace and truth, now that we're getting into the practical applications of this. Jesus has been baptized like we celebrated last Sunday. And after Jesus' baptism, he is walking again towards the Jordan. And John sees him while he is still walking down. And he's got a few of his disciples there. And he's got a crowd that is amassed. And he points out and he goes, look, there he is. That's the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world. This is the one I've been telling you about. You know, all the time I've been telling you to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, here he is. He's coming and he's bringing in something brand new and you want to be a part of it. And I can tell you that he's true because I was there. I was there when he was baptized. I saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove. I know this is who he says he is. I know this is the Messiah. I know this is the one we've been waiting for. And he makes this big proclamation. And undoubtedly Jesus walks by and says hi to everybody, shakes a few hands and then goes on. And then the next day Jesus is coming back. And John says the same thing. Behold, here is the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples, two of his disciples go, aha, we might want to check this guy out. So in one of the most creepiest passages of Scripture in the Bible, because I, I set the stage here. Jesus is walking on by. All of a sudden, these two guys just start following him. At a distance a little bit. Close enough to know that they're following, but not so close as to, you know, be in Jesus' bubble. They just start following him. They don't say, hi, excuse me, wait a second, uh, what do we call you? Hey, do you mind if we... They just start following him. Jesus, of course, knows. And I know divinely Jesus knows who they are and what's going on. But Jesus kind of plays this the same way any of us might. If we were walking along and noticed that there was 
people following us, we might turn around and be like, hi, can I help you? Jesus turns around and asks them, what are y'all looking for? Okay, why are you following me? And it's a loaded question. Did you pick up on that? It's a loaded question. Because Jesus could have turned around and just said, hey, why are you following me? Hey, what can I do for you? Hey, uh, excuse me, are you going the same way I am? But he turns around, seemingly as they're walking, just stops, which makes them stop, right? Because if you're following someone, when they stop, you stop. And just turns around and says, what are you looking for? And they reply with, where are you staying? Now that's a bit of an odd question, isn't it? If I didn't know you and I was already following you, and you turned around and asked me, what are you looking for? How can I help you? And I asked you for your home address. <laughs> I mean, you get what I'm saying? There is something that is lost in translation here. They were not asking Jesus for his home address. Not trying to be heady, but in the Koine Greek of the New Testament, there's some very specific words, just like we have, that would be like, where, where is your home what is your address? Where are you going? Where are you staying? Where, where, you know, what's the location? But that's not the word that John records being used here. In fact, John is unique. He's really the only gospel that uses this particular Greek term, and he uses it over and over and over again. It's the Greek word meno or menos, and it means to abide. He uses it here. He uses it every time. Any time in the Gospel of John where you see something about where Jesus is staying, a location, what's happening, the invitations that are given, it's usually about abiding. Because John is trying to let us know right at the very beginning, it's not simply about following Jesus at a distance. It's about abiding with Christ. So what they actually ask Jesus when Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? Is they ask him, where, teacher, rabbi, where are you abiding? Not just where are you going or where are you staying, but what are you about? What does this mean that you're the Lamb of God? What does this mean that you're the fulfillment of the promised Messiah? What does this mean that the kingdom of God has come, but not in its fullness? What does this mean that the promises of God are being revealed? What does this mean that the prophets are being fulfilled? You see what I'm saying? It gets really big. Which is the reason why Jesus' response to them was, an invitation. Come and see. Yeah, come and see where I'm going this afternoon. Come and see who I'm hanging out with in the evening. Come and sit down and have a meal with me. But Andrew, Simon Peter, and the other 12 ragamuffins that Jesus are about to pick, that Jesus is about to pick up from various places and locations and backgrounds. They're being invited to come and see just what this means.
They're about to get a front row seat to the wedding at Cana when Jesus turns water into wine. They are about to witness for themselves when Jesus even challenges the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their legalistic notions of the holy checklists and even invite them into a relationship that's based in love and in grace from the Father. They're about to get a front row seat to see the blind giving back their sight, the deaf be able to hear. They're about to get a front row seat to see Lazarus rose from the grave. And beyond that, they're about to get a front row seat even though they gave it up, which is one of the reasons why I believe as followers of Christ, we enjoy sitting in the back more than the front now because at the crucifixion, they were invited to be right there in the crowd, but they hid but they're also gonna get a front row seat to the resurrection. And when they're too scared to show up at the tomb, Jesus is gonna show up to them right behind locked doors. They're about to just experience and to see just what this means. And that cannot be contained in simply an intellectual study or a theological exercise or a Bible study, or a Sunday school class, or even a worship celebration. The invitation to come and see is still issued some 2,000 years later, give or take a couple of decades. Because the invitation of Christ, what we celebrate in our baptisms and in the vows that we make, what we celebrate in Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, what we're getting ready to experience through the journey of Lent and to celebrate on that glorious Easter morning and the season of Easter and the glory of Pentecost when we celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all people and every day of, of life, every single day, is that we have the Messiah who has come to be with us and has given us God's holy word and has given us guidelines and understandings and things that help us wrap our minds around what this means. But the invitation is for us to come and see, to not follow at a distance, but to mano, to abide with him and to allow him to abide in us, to get a front row seat because Christ still works miracles in our lives and in the world around us. That the invitation of the grace of God doesn't have an expiration date. That the call of Christ isn't for those who simply have it all together and then come. In fact, that's not the way this works. That's not the way any of this works. Christ comes to us and we learn to respond to Christ. That the grace and love of God is poured out on us and that the grace and love of God is poured out on the world and we are invited to come and see and experience just what that means. That the blind are still given their sight, that the deaf are still made to hear, that the spiritually dead are still raised and that we have a hope and a promise in God that those who have physically died have gone on to be with glory and will be raised again and we with them. And that the broken, that the broken gets bound up. And that there's not a single person on this planet that has not been made in the divine image. And that there is no one that is so messed up and so broken and so lost that we can't mess up bad enough 
that God still isn't with us, that God still doesn't love us, that God doesn't forgive us, and that God cannot redeem us. And we are invited to not only experience that in our lives, but to bear that truth. Not simply a belief, not simply a hope, but to bear that truth to the world. And guys, I love you, but you can't do that walking five steps behind Christ when the invitation is to come and see, to abide with him and he in you. So if you're looking for a holy checklist of faith, you've got it and it's comfortable. It's very comfortable. It's, it's much easier to know, do this, don't do this, got it. But if you want to experience that grace that churns up in you, the fire of God that gets in your bones, that you just can't help but do anything else, if you want to experience the tingle that comes with knowing that God is at work doing something, even though you might not be able to see it or understand it in that moment, but you just feel you know God is up to something, then the invitation is still given. Many of us have been following wonderfully five steps behind Jesus. This morning, feel Jesus hear Jesus, see Jesus, turn and look at you and ask you, what is it that you're looking for? Why are you here? Why are you following? What are you looking for? And then hear Christ issue you an invitation of grace to come and see, to come and experience to come and actually mano, to abide in him and allow him to abide in you. And then, I promise you, when you hear John the baptizer proclaim, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's going to mean something radically different because it isn't just a title and it isn't just a proclamation. And it is no longer a prayer of a hope that is somewhere in the future. But it's a current reality that God is revealing right here and right now. In your life, in the life of Bluff Park, in the life of your families and your children and your friends and your colleagues and your work, a reality that God is at work revealing in the world. Because we can follow, which is the first step. But the invitation is something more. It's something greater. It's to abide in Christ. And in doing so, experience what it means to become children of God. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m. and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.